get things ready here, why don't you turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> Just a reminder, for anybody who wants to become a member at SBC, you want to take the formal step of becoming someone who is saying, this is where God has planted me, this is where I belong, and this is where I believe God is calling me to serve, be a part of his kingdom, you can join us on Foundations. I think it's up there. Uh, that's it on the 16th and the 23rd of August. That's a Monday, not the public holiday, the, the Monday after the public holiday. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you are welcome to contact the office, register online, or sign up at the Welcome Center after the service. That's Foundations. Right. But now we come to the true foundation, Jesus Christ. Let's read from Mark chapter 1, verse 1 this morning. And I'm going to read all the way to verse 15. And uh, let's kick off this journey together. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem was going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's my privilege to kick off this series this morning through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I want to start by unpacking why are we doing the Gospel of Mark. And I want to look at my first point of today, the purpose of this series. And uh, the opening verse describes the purpose of what Mark wants you and I to grasp over the next couple of weeks as we journey through what he's given us in this Gospel. He says, it is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. He begins with an announcement. And this announcement is about a person. And the, the, the word he's choosing here is very, very careful. This word gospel has got a big connotation to those hearing it, to whom Mark is writing. 
The Greek word euangelion means good news, a proclamation of a historical, world-changing event. And one of the good examples of this use of this word is the moment when the Greeks beat the Persians at the Battle of Marathon. And remember that runner had to run 42 kilometers to the, I think it was to Athens. I, I'm, I'm so dodgy on that history. But he arrived and he says, great news. We've won. There's victory. Unfortunately, he didn't die straight after saying that. But the point is, he had good news. And it was about a historical fact, about a life-changing, world-altering event. And friends, today, it is the same for us. Mark says, don't you know? Something has happened that has changed the world. Something has happened, and it's, it's not a new law. Praise God, it's not a new philosophy or teaching. You won't find it in the schoolhouse. You won't find it written on tablets of stone. You won't even find it in a lifestyle guru. It's not some lifestyle that you have to live. It's come to us in a person. A person with flesh, with hands to love you, a mouth to speak to you, with arms to hold you and a heart to love you. What Mark is announcing is the arrival of a person called Jesus Christ. And he is like no other. He is the Son of God come in the flesh. And the moment, Mark is not apologizing or arguing or trying to prove his case. He's telling you a fact. He's telling you a fact of history. He's saying this Jesus has arrived. It's an announcement. And friends, today, what you do with that announcement will decide what happens to your life. Do you know, in order to become a Christian, and in order to be a Christian this morning, is you have to know Christ. Do you know that the essence of being a Christian is knowing that this Jesus is alive? Not as the material atheists who say he walked as a historical man. Not as the historian who says, yeah, there's the fact of this Jesus. He came and he lived and he died. No, no. We don't know Jesus just as this man who lived. We know him as the man who was resurrected from the dead. He is like no other. He's alive. And how do you know you're a Christian this morning? Friends, in your heart, when you hear the name of Jesus preached from this pulpit or you hear it in conversation, you know that this man, he's alive in your heart. He's alive. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And the way you know you're a Christian this morning is, is Jesus real to you? At a basic level, you don't have to know what he looks like. You don't have to know much about him. But in your heart of hearts, the Holy Spirit tells you he's alive and your hope is in him. He's a, he's a living person in your hearts. But the problem that we have and the reason why we're tackling this gospel of Mark is we can make Jesus so different and so distant, it's virtually impossible to love him. And to think that this God out there in the heavens would love us. And what Mark and the Gospels do is they put flesh on Jesus. They come and show you how Jesus came and how he loved people and how he loved to walk amongst people. And how he came as a man, not just as divine, but he came and clothed himself with flesh. And the thing that fascinates me about this Gospel of Mark is the reason why he wrote it. Mark was a good friend of the Apostle Peter. 
And he ministered with Peter, and uh, he wrote this because Peter had just been crucified upside down. The Christians were suffering terribly. There was an emperor called Nero, and he began to unleash terrible, terrible retribution on Christians. They were scapegoats for the fire of Rome. If you know history a bit, there was a massive fire that took down huge portions of Rome, and Nero was blamed for it. In order to shift the blame, he needed to find someone or find a group of people to, to deflect to, and he did it by singling out the Christians. And it was a time of terrible suffering for the church. Christians would be thrown into the arena, and wild dogs would be released onto them. They'd be dressed up in animal skins. Wild animals would be released, and they'd be eaten alive. They would say that the Christians would be the lampposts along the roads of Rome. They would impale these Christians and set them alight, and they would watch these games through the burning flesh of Christians around the arena. And they'd arrive at the ticket station having passed bodies of Christians impaled and burning. And these Christians were so hunted down, if you know history, they would have to go into the catacombs of Rome, which were on the outskirts or underneath the city, and they'd worship in the dark, praising Jesus under their breath, so fearful of being caught. And if you read this book of Mark, you can see that Mark zones in on a suffering Jesus. Half the book is about the cross that is looming, and the way it ends is this resurrection of Christ and the resurrection hope that the believer has. Friends, these Christians were being written to by Mark through intense suffering and trial. And what amazed me about this book is, you know, if it was me, I probably would have written a letter of condolence, you know, of sympathy. There's probably nothing wrong with that, saying, you guys are suffering so much. I'm so sorry. So difficult. But you know what he chooses to write about? He chooses to write about the person of Christ come in the flesh. And he points them to Jesus. Friends, this morning, you don't need anything else as much as you need to see and know and experience this Jesus Christ who came in the flesh for you and for me. And the thing that we need more than anything else in our lives is to come to a closer, personal relationship with Him. That's what these Christians need. That's what we need. And I know that we've been through some form of suffering lately. I haven't spoken to many Christians who've been able to look at the last couple of weeks and months and maybe a year and a half and go, we're fine. Today, the prophetic voice of Mark for you is pointing you to the one that you need more than oxygen, more than life itself, more than the security of your bank balance and the, 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 the fullness of your wardrobe and cupboard. What you need this morning more than anything in your life is to draw more closer and to know the wonder of this Jesus Christ announced to you this morning by Mark. And Paul, after, you know, Paul is a fascinating guy. He achieved so much in his life, but at the end of it all, he could say, there is one thing that I've become obsessed about. There's one thing that has satisfied my soul more than all the churches I've planted, more than all the people I've converted, more than all the wonderful books we read through generations and have changed the Western world and he's changing the rest of the world. The thing that drove Paul was this incredible encounter with this person, Jesus Christ. He says, I consider all else rubbish compared to the surpassing worth 
of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that knowledge is not in a schoolroom. That knowledge is not in some abstract Sunday school or on a, some abstract page. No, my friends, Paul is talking about Christ coming in the flesh. He says, I want to know him even in his sufferings. How he came in his body and he spilt his blood and he offered up his body for me. I want to know this Jesus. He is the obsession of my life. And the more I get to know him, the more satisfied and secure and full I feel. And that's what we need. In this day and age, we need a fresh baptism of Christ. And friends, I want to warn you, Mark is the most wonderful book and the most wonderful announcement of this Jesus, but it requires a response. You will see it at the end of today. Jesus says, the time has come. I've arrived. And what you do with me matters. And how you respond to me matters. Your life is caught up with mine. Ah, but my second point today is that we have to be so careful as to why Jesus came and our understanding of why God would do such an extravagant thing as to say, here is my son, world, worshipped as divine, the son of God, this, this incredible uh, 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 beloved of God. Why would Jesus come down and take on flesh and, and the thing I love about Mark is he's so honest about the various responses as to why people were interested in Jesus. And I want to look at that today as to lay a foundation for our future weeks. Friends, there is one thing that is essential to your start and understanding of who Jesus is to you. And my second point to say is Jesus came to deal with a massive problem. And in Verse 2 and 3 of our opening chapter, it says, As it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What was the preparation of hearts to receive Christ? That's what we've got to look at this morning. What was the work, the preparatory work of God in order for people to rightly receive and recognize Jesus in their lives. And if you read this opening chapter of Mark, there is just no ways that you can miss the stress of Mark over the need for God to deal with this massive problem of sin. This preparation of Jesus coming into the world was John the Baptist being released. And what was John the Baptist preaching? This is what we've got to look at. He was preaching a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Now, I just want you to stop. You know, when you read the Bible, you must imagine you being in that, in that, that midst of what's happening. Now, I'm asking myself, if I was sitting in Jerusalem and, and Galilee and hearing just John the Baptist preaching, I would be amazed at what was happening. Here you've got John the Baptist, and he's not calling down gold dust. He's not seeing people getting radically healed. He's actually, okay, I probably want to see his outfit, his camel and, the, <laughs> and a leather belt. But he is preaching a message which today would seem to be so offensive. He's saying, Israel, you've got a problem. And Jesus the Messiah is coming. And you need to be ready for him. How do you need to be ready? Oh, it is that you need to understand that the greatest issue between you and God is this thing called sin. 
And you have to come to a right understanding of yourself, which is repentance. You need to change your mind about yourself and your sin and your need to be washed of it. That's the point of baptism. Is John the Baptist is saying, come Israel, come this pollution of sin, this filth of sin has separated you from God. And what God is primarily wanting to do in your life is to reconcile you to Him. And in order for him to do that is you need to be washed, you need to be cleansed, you need to be recognized that there is an issue between you and God. And the thing that strikes me when I read this is that the whole nation's coming to John. All of Jerusalem and Judea are coming to this man, John the Baptist. The move of God is so powerful, but it's a move of conviction of sin. That's the preparation for the way of the Lord. And the whole nation is recognizing their sin before this God of heaven and they need to be washed of it. Now, I want to point out to you this morning, we need to sit a little bit on this and chew it, chew on this this morning because <laughs> sin is such a big problem for God that he had to send his son Jesus to deal with it. Our problem today is we have reduced the effects and impact and consequence of sin to such a degree that we have misunderstood why Christ has drawn towards us and why ultimately we love and respond to Him. I want to reset that this morning in our hearts because we are not being helped in culture or even in mainstream church to understand our right relationship between the Son and ourselves. And I'm going to be very thorough this morning. I want to start off by saying God has an issue with you. He's got a massive issue with you. It's called sin. And it doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter if you think it's little or large. It doesn't matter if you think it's serious or silly. What matters is what God thinks about it. And friends, today, sin is a huge issue for God. It's massive. And in actual fact, the reason why it matters what he thinks about it is he's going to be your judge. You're not going to decide how well you've done. He is. And today I want to remind you and those watching this morning, it's so helpful that God hates sin. He hates it. He can't stand it. And in actual fact, his eternal wrath is coming upon it and has come upon it already. And he's going to punish it. And the thing that I want to just reorientate a bit today for us is we often think about judgment being future. That Jesus at the second coming or when we stand before him, he's going to judge. And no, my friends, he's judged it already. In John chapter 3 verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Now, why am I taking my time this morning is because I want to help us in a very unhelpful age understand this vital point that you and I are not born neutral before God. What we get taught today is we get born into a neutral space and based on how we live, you either fall into acceptance or you, you fall into rejection. Friends, today we must be very clear about one thing, is that we are not born neutral before God. We are born into sin. And the relationship that is established on the day of our conception is one where God is against us because of our sin. He is going to judge the sin that is in our lives, and He's judging it already. We are not born okay before God. In actual fact, our state before Him is utterly and totally hopeless outside of Him. 
We are not born okay with God. And the consequences of this sin, friends, the reason why I'm going down this path is unless you see that you are a sinner in need of mercy and there is nowhere else out outside of Christ, the gospel of Mark is going to go over your head and you will not appreciate him, you will not love him, you will not look at him and say, God, look at what you've done for me. Your heart will not be one of gratitude and one of devotion. Your heart will be, oh, well, geez, am I getting what I want out of Christ or aren't I? But this morning, I want to point out to you, unless you see your situation before God as a sinner in need of mercy, and this mercy is only found in this person coming to you graciously, undeservedly, in your state of sin, you will not appreciate Him. And the thing that I want to point out to you today is, this conviction of sin that John is talking about does not lead in and of itself to salvation. What I learned from, John, from Mark chapter 1 is this. Is John says, this is the start. I've come and preached to you repentance and forgiveness of sin. But don't you know that there's another one coming whose straps I'm not unworthy to untie? Don't you know there's another one coming who is greater than I? I've just started this process of convicting you of sin. Oh, but the one that's actually going to rescue you, he's coming and he's going to baptize you with something far greater. It's the Holy Spirit and with fire, as the other gospels tell us, his work is going to be altogether higher and complete. Now, why is that so important this morning? Do you know? You can feel bad about yourself and not be saved. People feel bad about themselves all the time. Just because you feel bad about yourself doesn't mean you're a Christian. You might have made some terrible mistake and you're coming to church this morning, you're watching online because you feel so bad. You can even sit under preaching and feel so bad and think, oh, you know, I've arrived. No, no, my friends. The conviction of sin and feeling bad about your life doesn't make you a Christian. There are many people that feel bad about their lives. In actual fact, I have yet to find a person who feels wonderfully positive and perfect around who they are. And I want to point out to you that today, it's good to see your need for Jesus, but please don't stay there. Because the very people that came out, if the whole of Judea and Jerusalem came and got baptized under John, don't you think it's interesting how by the end of Christ's ministry, they all crucified him. They weren't saved. They weren't born again. They didn't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Friends, feeling bad about your life is not enough for salvation. Is You have to respond to this Jesus. And I want to say to you today, oh man, he is going to do a work in your life if you will come, which is far greater than just feeling bad, a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. No, no, no. What he's going to do is he's going to fill you with his presence. If you come to him, he's going to do an altogether higher work, a salvation work that is complete and full and eternal. My third point today is we must be careful. I want just a little bit on this point of why we need to see why Jesus came. He came because of sin, but I want to look at why he didn't come this morning. As we read the Gospel of Mark, you will notice that people are interested in Jesus for many, many reasons. I want to ask you this morning, this is the question I want you to answer, is why are you interested in Jesus this morning? Why is he precious to you? Is he? 
Why are you interested in this Son of God? Why does He matter to you? Because I want to give a little bit of a forewarning around Mark. You know, are you interested in Jesus because you want a more comfortable and secure life? That's what the Jews wanted. They totally misunderstood Jesus because they wanted a Messiah to deliver them from their financial oppression of taxes to Rome. You might feel like that about SARS. Won't someone please deliver me from the tax that I have to pay every month? Well, these guys, the Jews, they wanted Jesus to come and make their lives better on earth. They wanted Jesus to come and look after their cultural group, their families. They wanted to have political independence. They wanted to have financial freedom. And these, these Jews were interested in Jesus because they wanted the Messiah to make their lives more comfortable and secure. And friends, I want to say today, that is the pervasive message along mainline Christianity. Is Jesus is here to make you comfortable and make you secure. It's not true. He won't fit that mold. I love the way one pastor said this week. He said, we see... God and, and Jesus as a big pinata up in heaven. And the harder you hit him with prayers, the more the sweets will fall. I want to say, if you're interested in Jesus because he's going to keep you nice and comfortable, in your nice warm lazy boy, in your nice chair, with, and your family's nice and secure, and your little tribe is fine, if, if he's here for the aches and pains of your soul, and that's the sole reason why God exists, friends, he's going to blow you out of the water because following Jesus is to take up your cross and follow him. The very essence of our faith is to follow this Jesus who could lead us anywhere at any time, and we go at his call. Or are you interested in Jesus because you want to maintain a respectable social status? You know, in East London, it's respectable to be a Christian. In actual fact, it's a great business network. It's a great place to feel like I'm okay. Can I say to you, if you are going to follow Jesus because you want to have some sort of status, the very essence of Christ's ministry is to blast the whole self-seeking, status-making of the day. He pushed against social norms. He even warned his disciples, his disciples, they're going to throw you out of the synagogues. You know where the respectable places in Israel were? Was the synagogues. You know where the respectable places in Israel are? It's to attend church and to be a Christian and to be oh, so nice and so respectable and so upright. Let me tell you, Christ will lead you into a form of faith which pushes back in such a way where you will be led into going to areas you never would have gone at by choice. Associate with people who irritate the, le the, the heck out of you. Serve people in a way that you would, is sacrificial. This thing of being able to associate where Jesus goes, we're going to see he loved to associate with sinners and tax collectors. And he loved to go outside of the institutional norm to those that were willing to receive him. I want to ask another question. Are you interested in Jesus because you want religion in your life? What do I mean by that? A system or, or a program, you know? Sometimes I listen to, to guys speak and and. I feel like I'm listening to a great coaching session on how to be a better you. Friends, today, we have to be so careful about how we relate to the Christian faith. Is Jesus just in your life because you want some religion? You want your kids to grow up nice and moral? You want to have some way to live and structure your life, a lifestyle? 
the Jews had more than enough of that in the Mosaic law. If, 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 <laughs> if you ever wanted a way to try and even go down to what buttons you were not allowed to put into your clothes and the kind of fabric and how you were to chop up your, your trees and when you were to prune them and how you were to do your... Fil- if you want a lifestyle of religion, you can go to the Mosaic law for that. The Jews had their fill of it. And the thing that was the problem with these Jews is they were so interested in religion that they crucified Jesus. Jesus could say, you're so clean on the outside, you're so nice, you never swear, you never drink, you never smoke, all these kind of various things that we calibrate our our, our righteousness to. And he says, you're so nice and clean on on the outside, but inside, you're filthy, you're filthy, you're full of sin. Don't you know what comes out of the heart defiles the life? It's not what you put inside your mouth. And these Jews, they had religion in bucket loads, and friends... You can have religion in bucket loads. If you're interested in following Jesus this morning because of sheer religion and feeling good about yourself because you're doing some sort of code, he'll smash it. He'll smash it. And I have to talk about for our younger folks here, the 35s and under. Are you interested in Jesus? Because he will affirm whatever you feel as being right. You know, Jesus gets put up as the poster boy for affirmation. And the great one that the great line that people love to quote about Jesus is when that woman's caught in adultery and everybody's ready to stone her, right? And Jesus says to them, You who have no sin cast the first stone. And like, that's radical. Don't be judgmental. Don't be critical of others. Don't ever say anything that's wrong or don't do anything that's going to offend. But we forget the very last words that Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but lady, go and sin no more. Is we need to preach a gospel that delivers people from sin, not keeps them in them. We follow a Savior who was sinless, and we need a people to follow a sinless Savior. He's never going to leave you in your sin, and He's never going to say, oh, well, it's okay. No, no, He's going to deliver us from it. It crucified Jesus on the cross. And if we're going to enjoy the fullness of fellowship with Christ, we have to hate what He hates, which is sin, and love what He loves. Oh, which is righteousness and truth. He came full of grace, but oh, don't forget, he came full of truth. And today, if you are interested in Christ, I want to ask you, why? And are you interested in him for the right reason? Because, friends, you rise and fall on your relationship with him. It doesn't matter about the size of the church, or how much you know your Bible, or how much you can pray, or how hard you serve, or how good you are at your job, or how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter at all. The thing that matters above everything else is where do you stand before Christ and your love and desire for him? The reason why you were born is for him. All things were made through him and for him. You are betrothed to him. To have any other view of Christianity is to fall short of the grace of God and the fullness of his love for you coming to you in this person, Jesus. And I want to wrap up today with this fourth point. There is only one solution to the sin in you and me. And it is called good news indeed. It's called good news. When Jesus is announced in Mark chapter 1 verse 9, when it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan, Mark is announcing the most incredible Savior that has ever graced this planet. The joy of Mark is God is not giving you a fresh revised Ten Commandments. Praise God, we couldn't keep the first Ten Commandments anyway. 
It wasn't other Mount Sinai. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! It wasn't getting into the schoolroom. Some of you can sympathize with me. You don't have very high power intellectual brains. You know, sometimes Christianity is perceived as this hyper, hyper intellectual. Let me tell you, it is a relationship with a person called Christ. It's not this sort of intense, scholastic, agonizing over the Greek and the Hebrew and all of this. Friends, this good news has come to you in your desperation of sin. And he's called Jesus. He's a person. A person to be felt, a person to be loved by, a person to be cared by, a person to experience when you're in the classroom, when you're in the kitchen, when you're in the bathroom, when you're in the bedroom, wherever you are, this person and his presence is watching over you. He's loving you and he's come and lived for you. He's died for you. He's even been resurrected for you. This Jesus has come to you in the flesh. Praise God. That the love of God for you, it is personal. It is intimate. It is close. Do you know why Jesus came? It was to be close to you to enjoy the pleasure of your company to speak about all the things that you're interested with or in in your life to share the sickbed to share the loss of a spouse or a family member to share the disappointments of being rejected or the loss of work Jesus steps into our humanity and our flesh he doesn't come as a law he doesn't come as a philosophy oh no no he comes as a person and friends what a coming it was I, I just I have to marvel every time I sit and think about this verse 9 when Jesus is described as coming from Nazareth. Do you know what they said about Nazareth? What good could come from Nazareth? I'm tempted to use place names, but I can't use any without causing some offense. <laughs> there was a place called Poppendorf, I'll never forget, on the west coast. This little hovel, I mean, the name itself, you just feel sorry for the town. like Alice. What good could come from Alice? From dispatch. What good? I just want to paint a picture for you. Bear with me a moment because this for me just makes me love Jesus and I hope it does the same for you because of what he did. Jesus, you must remember, have you ever had a great conversation around a fireplace or you go on holidays with family and the, the, the fellowship is so sweet. You don't want to go home. And whenever you see that person, you, you just connect. Do you know that it was like that for Jesus 100% of the time in heaven? He had perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. He was so satisfied. There was not an ounce of discontent that drove him to come down to the smelly, stinky earth. And when he came, I just want you to think about this. He was adored. In heaven, he was loved with an eternal love. The, the, the angels would sing his praise. Creation would bow down. If you ever read Revelation's most wonderful book, showing you how Jesus was central to the worship in heaven. All of the glory and honor and majesty and power was being attributed to him and the father that he was with. And friends, he left all that. For what reason? For what reason? For you. Could I ever mean that much to God? Yeah. That God so loved the world that he didn't just say, oh, I'll send a prophet. Oh, praise God. Not another Moses. Oh, praise God. I'll send my son. 
His communication of love. And, and I want to stress the reason why we must feel like sinners because we are sinners before God is because of the extravagant love of God that overcame His wrath, overcame His anger, overcame our rebellion, overcame our hatred of God. He overcame it all, not with some sort of prophecy, not some, some sort of prophet. He came with the person of His Son, Jesus. And He came to a people that rejected Him. You know, we must think about how Jesus felt as a man. Here he is. He's arrived. And he's not in a celestial palace. He's not in some sort of political office where everybody's clapping and saying, here's the crown, the king of kings. He comes from Galilee with an accent that people laughed at. He was so poor that his parents couldn't afford the proper sacrifice. It was a turtle dove. And I'm convinced Jesus had big muscles. I'm convinced because he worked hard as a carpenter. And he sweated in that room. He, he trained under his dad, then lost his dad. He lost his dad. And if you ever read in Mark, as you'll, get to, you'll see how many brothers and sisters this poor guy had in a mother. I mean, can you imagine the responsibility and the suffering and the, and the weight of, of what he had to carry as a young man? And then God speaks to him and says, it's time. And, and his humility of coming to say to John, I need to be baptized by you. And John's going, there's no ways. I'm not baptizing you. You're the Messiah. And he says, I have to be baptized for these guys. I'm so humble that I'll even be baptized for them. I'll be so humble. I'll flow with what God is doing through another fallen human being. His humility. And I want to go on to say his dependency. Do you know Jesus as a man? needed to be filled with the Spirit. He was so weak. Any of you felt tired lately? Any of you felt frustrated? Any of you felt inadequate? Let me tell you, this Jesus, He came fully clothed. He emptied Himself of glory. He had to be filled with the Spirit. He couldn't do what He had to do in the power of His own flesh. He needed the power of God. And He needed to hear what we need to hear. Affirmation. You are my beloved son. We could go on and on. And, but the thing I want to point out to you is He suffered. Don't think of, you know, I, I really do not like these videos about Jesus. That he's always too clean. He's always so good looking. Do you know Isaiah says he was ugly. If you looked at Jesus, he wasn't wearing K-way or Woolworth stuff. He came poor and it was, he, he was insulted. Do you know that they said to Jesus, you can't be more than 50 years old? He was ugly. And when they saw him, they were nasty to him. These Pharisees, when he said to them, man, God can raise the sons of Abraham from these stones. And they say, well, we aren't sons of immorality. Do you know that Jesus had to walk with scandal? He had a strange birth. And the only way to explain it by human wisdom was to say, his mommy slept with another man other than his current dad. This is the nature of his coming for you. He suffered 40 days in the wilderness. He suffered. He was tempted. And he did it for you. I want to ask you, has anybody today left heaven and the glory of it? Has anybody else in your life taken on your own weakness that he might sympathize with you and overcome it? Has anybody taken on such poverty 
to be so overlooked and rejected by mankind. Has anybody loved you like this Jesus has? Has anybody laid on his life for you like this Jesus has? Let me tell you, there's no one in heaven and earth. I don't care, your best friend, your mother, your father. No one compares to the extravagant love of the Father poured out to you in Jesus Christ, his Son. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what people think of you. I don't care what your home looks like or your car. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care about any of that. I care about today is what does Jesus mean to you? Is he the one that's bled for you and died for you? Is he the one that you admire this morning? Is he the one that goes, there is no other. My life is bought by his blood. I'm sheltered under his high priestly praying. Everything that my hope is, it's in him. Everything that he is, it's him. It's his life. It's his death. It's his resurrection. Oh, and praise God, it's, it's his ascension to you. It is Jesus. Friends, today, if we are to grasp one thing from Mark, I feel so inadequate. The words are not enough. It's to say to you today, how much do you see what Christ is to you? You know, we have a, a bad habit of reducing Jesus to a task, to a place, to a people, to an expectation. Friends, Jesus is so much more than that. And the response to him this morning is this. Do you love him? Where are you with him? Do you love him? Is your heart warm towards him? Is it because he's near that you feel secure in your life? Is it because of his gracious delight in you that you feel significant? Is getting to know him the most fascinating and joyful experience? Is he why you live? And I, I'm not saying we've arrived this morning, but that's where we want to be. Because friends, Jesus points to himself over and over again. And he ends in, one, in, in John chapter 1 verse 15, in, in, verse, in, in, in point 5 today, it says, The time is fulfilled. It's now. This announcement has arrived to you now. The Son of God has come for you. He's not interested in what you can do for him just yet. He's not interested in how much you can impress him just yet. By the way, he knows our limitations. But he's interested in your heart for him. Your life for him. Your response to him. The kingdom of God has arrived because the king has come. We need to repent and believe in the gospel. And for some today, I'm, I'm trusting that this will be the first time you see yourself as a sinner. That's what you are. It doesn't matter how much your mom says to you, you're such a nice boy. You're such a nice girl. We must think what God says. And today he says, if you do not come to Christ, you are lost. Hell is waiting. That is the reality of your situation before God. I don't care how much you like this church or the people of it or how much you hate like or hate me. I'm saying love Christ because today the time is coming faster than what you think. That unless you respond to Christ in the flesh, resurrected, crucified for you, you will have no hope. You're going to hell, my friend, and you will not understand anything of the book of Mark. You must repent and believe in the gospel. And this gospel is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. 
Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Why stay in the sin that he's crucified him? Why not be delivered from it by coming to him this morning and say, I see I'm no better than these guys. I'm no better than the people around me. I need Jesus. I'm running to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Forget about all of my historic past. Oh, there's a future in him. Washed, cleansed, to be resurrected on that day, to have an ascending hope that will live forever and ever in Christ. That's for you, my friend. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, but I, I have to preach to myself and you this morning for those that have experienced what it means to repent, turn away from sin and run to Jesus. I have to say to you, it is so easy to lose sight of His glorious love and desire for us. you know what kind of church we are called to be? It's not the flashiest. It's not a place where you feel successful because you sit and how nice and clean the venue is and how pretty the graphics are. Do you know why we exist, SPC? Is to be betrothed to Christ. You are His bride. He is your bridegroom. And today, to live far from Him, is to live off the vomit and the scum of this world. To live close to Him is to experience the eternal riches of eternal life now. To delight in praying and experiencing His nearness, not just by faith, but by the power of the Spirit. He baptizes with the Spirit. He gives us a living sense of fellowship in our hearts and a power to respond to this call to follow Him. This is what's available to us. And SBC is not a preaching platform. No, no. SBC is not a next-gen platform. SBC is not a nice place where you come and see how pretty and, and beautiful it's painted. SBC is a place to find and love Jesus. We are betrothed to Christ. And friends, if at the end of the series, you don't love Him more and experience His love for you more and the desires for you to be pulled into a closer relationship with Him where you share the stresses of work, the, the failures of parenting, the stresses of finance, where He comes into your suffering, He comes into your joys, the things that you love, unless He is closer to you in any way, in every way. Oh, we failed. This life is to be enjoyed in fellowship with Jesus. Why wait another day today? What excuse could be better than doing life with the Son of God who loves you? And not loves you because you're nice. Loves you whilst you are still a sinner. To wake up in the morning and to start the day and say, Jesus, it's so good to be with you. Jesus, it's so good. You're going to lead me today. You're going to help me. Because you walked on this planet. You walked on this earth. You're flesh. You know what it's like. You know what I feel. No one else knows me better than you. All of my fears in my heart, my spouse or my friends might not know, but you do. All of my struggling against sin. Oh, let me tell you, if we had to unzip our hearts before the world today, we'd be shocked at each other. Christ's not shocked. He loves you. He stepped into that mess and he's making it new. But not through a law. Not through some sort of code of ethics that you have to keep or some expectation or church attendance or church membership. God forbid. He's coming through closeness with Him. Through fellowship with Him. All of the scriptures point to Him. All of prayer is through Him and to Him and for Him. Everything that we are doing is a delight because of Christ's newness and closeness to us. That's the way to live your life. And the thing about Jesus, I'll land here. My last statement, I promise is He's willing to teach you how to do this. 
You know, Jesus is wonderful. He says, come. Come who all are weary and heavy laden today. I'll give you rest. And what does he say? Come take my yoke upon me. You know what it is to have a yoke? It's to be next to you. This incredible powerhouse of an ox with the nature of his leadership on your life and mine is come and learn from me. Come and learn from me. For I am lowly and gentle in heart. He's okay with mistakes. He's okay with false starts. He's okay with stuff-ups and mess-ups. But he wants you. He wants you. Let's pray. I just sense there's a few things in the room this morning. The first is you just are struggling to believe that God would really love you as you are. And every time you hear about drawing close to Jesus, you just see why he wouldn't want to be close to you. And friends, to repent and believe the gospel, if that's you this morning, is to say, if Christ could love and die for me when I'm at my worst... How much more will he do it now when I've been born again? That I'm his. I've been bought by his blood. You must believe the gospel. You must preach the gospel to yourself. You must affirm what Christ has commanded you. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come into your life through Jesus. You must believe the gospel that he is willing to forgive and he's able to teach an imperfect life with perfect grace and that his verdict over you is unchanging. You must believe the gospel. That's what will allow you to come close to Jesus this morning whilst you are still a sinner. Christ died for you. But there's also a sense of, you say, well, I know that, but I've, I've just really repeatedly messed up. I just sense that there's a second kind of person that's going, I've lost hope. I've tried, oh, this sounds so good. There's another call to draw. I've tried this so many times and I just fail. I ask you this morning, has Christ failed you? Are you building your relationship on your faithfulness to Jesus or his? And today, I just feel the Lord wants to speak to the person who has lost hope and say, you're looking at the wrong place. If you're going to look at yourself, you've lost hope already. The thing about getting old is you get cynical about yourself and rightly so. But this morning is, will you look at Christ? Will you look at Him, this eternal hope? There's your hope. There's your confidence. There's your reason to keep going because He hasn't changed towards you. Praise God. So come, Lords. I pray that you would come and give us a fresh sense of your love this morning for us. I pray for the one that has never known Jesus to be alive. To come now, come, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's time now to repent and believe. Do it now. Do it now. Say that to Jesus. I repent and I believe in you.
And Lord, we want to pray that there will be a sweetness over these weeks and months ahead where we get to learn to marvel and wonder and rejoice in and delight what it means to have you close to us. To be yours. To be loved so perfectly. To be invited in so closely. To share every part of our life with the Savior who is so competent not only to love us but to lead us. We're so grateful, Lord. Thank you for these things. Amen. So let's, let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord. If you have something that's been on your heart you want to share with Laurie, we're going to close off with a song. Let's respond to Jesus this morning. I will fall at your feet. 
and I will worship you here. Freely you gave it all for us, surrendered your life upon that cross. Great is the love poured out for all. This is our God, lifted on high from death to life, forever our God, be glorified, servant and king, rescue the world, this is our God. just uh, I really believe we need to respond to the word that was in. I was shaken and I was challenged and I want to know <laughs> my Lord Jesus Christ more and better I want uh, my relationship to, with him to be real and meaningful and purposeful I don't want it to be theory and head knowledge. I want to be showered in His love. <laughs> I want to be just embraced in His kindness and His mercy. And I'm sure there's others amongst us that want to do the same. And so I think as we stand before our closing prayer and Maybe John, just after a little response here, you just sing another chorus or two and then I'll close in prayer. But I'll, as we stand here, I really think uh, each one of us needs to either make right, <laughs> either need to acknowledge Him as your personal Lord and Savior if you haven't done that yet, and need to ask Him to forgive us for our sins so just where you stand just pray and then John will lead us in chorus again and then I'll close in prayer
your word I am restored I am redeemed by your spirit I am free and I will fall at your feet I will fall at your feet and I will worship Freely you gave it all for us, surrendered your life upon that cross. Great is the love poured out for all, this is our God. Lifted on high from death to life, and King rescue the world this is our God Lord I just sense that you're close this morning and I, I just uh, I really want to pray for us that we wouldn't find confidence in our love for you but in your love for us I just sense the Lord is saying don't worry don't be insecure around me don't feel awkward or, or uneasy even leaving this place of how am I going to find Jesus? How am I going to talk to him enough? How am I going to... No, don't look at your consistency and confidence in your love. Look at his. And he promises he's never going to leave you or forsake you. He promises to reveal himself to you. As you seek him, you will find him. But he wants your heart. That's what he wants. A broken and contrite heart, a warm heart, a heart of desire. He's not going to despise this morning. So come, Lord, I pray, come and show us as we leave this place the joy of what it means to rest in your unchanging love, not our changing love. And that, Lord, the invitation is wide open. It's wide open to come, to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's blessed are those who take refuge in Him, in Him. Bless you, Lord. We're grateful for your presence here upon your people. Even upon the lost, Lord, we're grateful you've drawn near to us. Help us savor it in the days ahead, we pray. So, Father, just uh, as we close the service, we just uh, rejoice and celebrate. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we say, Lord, we love you. We love you. We're so grateful that you came and you died for us, Lord. We're so grateful even this morning that we were challenged, Lord. We're so grateful that our journey doesn't end now when we leave this place. For some of us, it might be a new beginning as we sang early on in the service. For the first time, we might be walking with you. We praise you and we celebrate with them, Lord. Some of us are old hands at this, but even we grow weary and discouraged. And even we fall into sin and doubt and unbelief. Today, we want to go. We want to go rejoicing, knowing that you came to save us, to save us all, to save this world, Lord, to save those that crucified you, those that spat and stabbed you with, in your side. You came to save the lost. So bless you, Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. Thank you, folk. Have a good week. And I encourage you to feast on the word of the Lord.